Excuse me. In Psalm 37, David writes, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And then we go to Luke chapter 16. Jesus also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what that which is another's, who will give to you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then finally, to 1 Peter chapter 4, we pick up in verse 7. the end of all things is at hand therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, when you've gone through a traumatic experience such as an accident on a small country road like we have, Uh, It really brings you face to face with a a lot of things and there's a lot of issues that you have to deal with and and all of that as you you probably understand. But it's at moments like that that brings out one of the major differences between uh, the UK and the United States. Uh, And you might not know this unless you happen to have uh, the control of automobiles 
in both countries. In the United States, uh, you have a certificate that basically says you are the owner of the vehicle. But your V5C here in the United Kingdom actually calls you the vehicle's keeper. And when I first saw that, after we acquired our first vehicle here in the, uh, in the UK, uh, I, I thought that that was kind of interesting, and, 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 and I found it to be a bit quirky, but as I've pondered it, I really think that what we say here in the UK is actually more accurate. Because really, what do you actually own? Think about it. Make a list of things that you think you own. Now you might say, well, okay, I own my house. But actually, is that true? I mean, my house was built in the 1790s, uh, and uh, there were a lot of people that lived in the house before for me, and there'll be a lot of people, hopefully, that probably will live in the house after me. I don't really own it. At best, I'm just the keeper of the house. Your car, if you have a car. You don't really own that either. You just keep it. For a season. What about your clothes? Well, your clothes, they wear down. Uh, you don't really own those. They're in your possession, but, you know, if, if you get tired of them, you'll just kind of pass them on and somebody else will take it up. Uh, and how about your children? Well, you certainly don't own your children. How about your spouse? Well, don't even think about it, guys. Uh, there's really, if you think about it, Nothing in our lives that we genuinely own. Even our lives themselves, especially as Christians, do not belong to us. You are not your own, Paul says. You were bought with a price, and we were bought with the price of Christ's blood. Your money. Do you think you really own your money? If you think you own your money, then stand before God and say, God, I own this money, and watch how quickly it goes away. Now, your time, do you really own your time? No, man knows not his time, the scripture says. Well, we all will one day die. We don't own our time. There is nothing, there's no resource in our lives. There is nothing that we own. And much of the grief that we experience in life comes because we try to own things that we can never own. We try to control things that we can never control. And this idea of owning stuff and wanting more stuff to own and wanting more stuff to be ours, this whole idea actually leads to an awful lot of grief and misery and prevents us ultimately from living the good life. Let me think, it, think of it in terms of church. You know, we can often think that we own the church. This is my church. And, you know, there's a certain healthiness to say, my family, my church, uh, a certain degree of uh, identifying with a group of people that is healthy. But as soon as we think that this church belongs to me, that people should do what I want them to do, uh, then we start getting into problems. Uh, the same is true with, with uh, our relationships. There's no relationship that you own. In fact, every relationship that you have is a gift of grace from the person with whom you're in relationship with. In other words, the friendship that Olashina and I share is a grace that Olashina gives me and a grace that I give him in return. 
I can't demand anything from him. I can't demand that anybody be my friend. I can't even demand that anybody respect me as a minister. I can't make those demands. If somebody gives me respect, it's a gift of grace. It's a gift of love. And I treat it like that. And I value it in that way. And that is the orientation of our lives. We must realize that we don't own anything. Everything that we have, in a sense, is a gift. And every good thing that we have, as we've said before, comes from God. There's nothing that we own. Well, if we don't own it then, what are we? Because if I'm the registered keeper of the car, even if I don't own it, I'm responsible for it. Even if I don't own my time, I'm responsible for my time. Even if you don't own your children, you're responsible for your children. Even if you don't own your spouse, you have a responsibility toward your spouse to care for them and nurture them and be faithful to them. Even if you don't own the church, you have a responsibility toward the church. Even if you don't own your home, you have a responsibility toward your home. Even if you don't own your car, you have a responsibility toward your car. What does the Bible call that then? Because we have a responsibility And our failure to discharge our responsibility with excellence always undermines our ability to live the good life and leads us in a place where we can ultimately have a problem. For example, if I had not maintained my car, maintaining the brakes, maintaining the tires, the accident that happened on Monday could have been far worse. So we have a responsibility. So what does the Bible call that responsibility? There's a great word for it. The word is stewardship. Stewardship. It's the word in the the parable that Jesus told uh, that's translated as manager or management. The idea of manage is not really there. The idea is that of a steward. And a steward is not just a manager. A steward was a leader who was responsible for things that he did not own or she did not own, but things that God or the the master had placed under their control uh, for which they needed to exercise their responsibility in a way that coincided with the wishes of the master. That's the idea of stewardship. Stewardship is where you take care of something that doesn't really belong to you. It belongs to somebody else. And you take care of it and you take responsibility for it so that it's used and discharged in accordance with the wishes of the Master. So for us as Christians, if everything is owned by God, if we ourselves are owned by God, then we are stewards of what God has given to us and for which God, the stuff for which God has made us responsible. God has given us a responsibility. God has given us a stewardship. And as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it is is the primary responsibility of every steward that they be found faithful. Faithfulness is the key discharge of stewardship. And you see that there in the story that Jesus told. It's a story about a steward. And the steward, what was he doing? He was squandering that which belonged to his master. He was not discharging his responsibility in an appropriate way in accordance with the wishes of the master. The master was away. Now a steward, 
A steward had a lot of authority and a lot of responsibility for what the master had entrusted to him. In many cases, stewards were completely in charge of the, entire, the master's entire household while the master was away on business, which meant in the day before you had text messages and, and mobile phones and things like that, that the steward had to make the best decisions possible in the absence of the master, thinking, okay, what would the master do? This is what I should do. But this steward is not doing it. He's squandering it. And so the master hears about it. So what does he say? Okay, I'm going to remove your stewardship from you. I'm going to take away from you that which you have responsibility for. I'm going to take away this stewardship. Because he's not discharging it appropriately. And then what does he do? He goes around and he does, he responds in uh, it, doing one thing primarily, but has, it will have two effects. What does he do? He goes to the people who owe his master things, who, has de- who have debts with his master. In one case, it's grain. In another case, it's oil. Uh, in the, the sense of the parable is that he would have done this with several different people, not just the two that are mentioned there. So he goes around and he says, hey, how much do you owe my master? Okay, that much? We'll cut it in half. And he cuts it in half. How much do you owe my master? Okay, that's great. We'll take off 25%. And they take off 25%. Now this, you think, okay, how can he do this? How can he get away with it? Because he has authority to do it. He has the authority to make these decisions. The master would have had no recourse because he has the authority. Now if he had taken this and just used it for his own purposes or for his own benefit, the master could have thrown him in jail because it's like stealing But in this case, it's not stealing. He's using the master's resources. And what he does will have two consequences. First, because of the rule of reciprocity, if I do something big for you, you need to return it to me. That was a fundamental principle uh, in the ancient Middle East. You know, you you had to act in, in reciprocity, otherwise you'd bring shame on yourself. And so what, the, what this, the, the steward was doing, he was creating for himself people to whom he could go once he was turned out. He would have had several different people that he could have gone to to say, okay, you know, remember how I cut that debt in half? Well, you owe me now, and I need a place to live. I need a job. So he was providing for himself in the way that he treated the resources and blessing other people. He was doing this. He was blessing other people. It wasn't indirectly it would have blessed himself, but directly he was blessing others. Now the second thing he would have done, the second outcome, is that all of these debtors would have suddenly looked upon his master with favor. All of the debtors would have said, wow, it's amazing that this guy that I owe so much money to is being so generous to me. Wow, praise him. I, I mean, that, that is great. He's going to be my best buddy from now on. That's the guy I'm going to do business with from now on. That's the guy that I'm going to bless from now on. This guy that's just cut my debt in half. Now, they would not have known initially. They would not have heard about him being discharged from his stewardship. They would have just assumed that the man was acting on behalf of his master and all the praise would have gone to his master. So the dishonest steward in the end, acted in a way that blessed other people, 
making a way for himself and would have led other people to bless his master. And so Jesus is praising this dishonest steward. He says, listen, people, you know, even the people in the world know how to use their stewardship to get a blessing for themselves and to bring fame to their master. If that's the case for people in the world, then if you are a follower of me, then you need to be doing this as well. You need to be discharging your stewardship in a way that will bless other people and bring glory to the master. And that's our responsibility. As we discharge our stewardship, we must discharge it in a way that blesses others and brings glory to Jesus. And as we do that, we make way for ourselves. We make a space for ourselves. We make a welcome for ourselves. But ourselves, we cannot focus on, our, our, on, on us, on just blessing ourselves, because if we do that, it's like stealing from the Master rather than using what the Master has provided for us. And so that's Jesus' encouragement here. That's Jesus' encouragement to exercise the responsibility of our stewardship in a way that blesses other people and brings glory to God. We bless others and we bring glory to God. We bless others and we bring glory to God. And in that process, we experience more and more of the good life. Exercising our stewardship in a way that blesses others and brings glory to God is a way that leads us into the good life. But there's a couple of other principles we need to pay attention to. The first comes from Psalm 37, one of my favorite verses. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that a great verse? I love that verse. Absolutely adore it. And I've heard many, many people uh, say that verse and quote that verse and declare that verse over themselves. And that's a fabulous thing to do. But we forget the verse that comes before it. And they're intended to go together. What comes before it? Trust in the Lord and do good. You cannot delight yourself in the Lord so that you get the desires of your heart. You cannot exercise your stewardship in accordance with the will of God, unless you're trusting God and doing good. But we've talked about that. We've looked at that. God is good. God does good. God gives good. God superintends good. We know. We know. And so we can do good. We can speak good. We have all of these things. But the part we often miss is the next one. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. If we are to exercise our stewardship in a way that blesses others and brings glory to God, we must dwell in our land. Everywhere the Lord has given you, your job is part of your land. Your home is part of your land. Your church is part of your land. This, this nation is part of your land. And what God is saying to us as we exercise our stewardship is we've got to dwell in this land. You can't flit about. If I move from nation to nation to nation to nation, community to community, community, relationship to relationship to relationship, church to church to church, if I'm moving about all the time, I cannot exercise my stewardship responsibility in a way that will bless others and bring glory to God and enable me to live the good life. I need to make a commitment to be where God has put me until God moves me. And as I make that commitment, 
I need to befriend faithfulness. Remember what Paul said, as for a steward, it's required that they be found faithful. One of the reasons why we often fail in our stewardship is we fail in our faithfulness. Going back to the car, one of the great things in the UK is every year you have to do an MOT. And I always do my scheduled maintenance along with my MOT, always. Never skimp on the scheduled maintenance. Why? Because I know that if I take care of my car, that my car will take care of me in a crisis situation. But you know, that's, that applies to everything. If we take care of our house, if we take care of our spouse, oh, those rhyme, I'm getting cute this time. Uh, uh, you know, all these things, if we take care of that, then it's going to take care of us. We must exercise faithfulness. Faithfulness is absolutely essential in our stewardship. So that's kind of principle one. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. The second thing comes from what Jesus starts to talk about. And Jesus talks about here, you know, if you're not faithful, the person who is faithful in small things will be faithful in big. The person who's not faithful in small things will be unfaithful in big things. Uh, If you don't take care of worldly stuff, you won't be faithful in spiritual stuff. Now, that's why God talks a lot about money. There's more verses about money in the Bible than almost any other subject, including love. Well, why is that so important? Because it's a practical, tangible thing. And God looks at that and how we take care of that. Something that's that practical, something that's that tangible. If I see somebody that's not taking care of their car, then I wonder if they're, if they're taking care of their relationships. I wonder about everything else in their life. If I see somebody who's slacking off in their job, it makes me question, are you slacking off in your faith? Are you slacking off in your relationships? Now, we have a responsibility to be faithful in even the small things. And the ability to be faithful in the small things always determines whether or not God gives you bigger things. And the ability to be faithful in small practical things always determines whether or not God gives you big things. Now, if you cannot be faithful in little things in your life, then you will not be faithful in big things that the Lord gives you. And so we must exercise stewardship in even the small details of our lives. You know, if you tell somebody that you're going to do something and you don't do it, that's not being faithful in a small thing. You know, even when I, t- I, I used to say, I, 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 everybody knows I have a lot of books. And, uh, and I'd buy a book and I'd say, I'm going to read this book. And I got to the point where I had two or three hundred books that I said I was going to read that I hadn't read. Now, you know, I didn't tell anybody else that. I didn't make a promise to my wife. I didn't make a promise to the church or anybody else that I'm going to read all these books. But I did make a promise to myself. And I wasn't being faithful. And that was a small thing. And so I came before the Lord. I came to a point in time uh, some time ago where I, I came before the Lord and I repented. Because I had made commitments that I was not being faithful to. And I say, Lord, you know, I just, I renounce those commitments. And now, if I do buy a book, and I still buy quite a few books, I'll say, I'd like to read this book someday. I don't make a commitment that I'm going to read it. I make, uh, I make a, a declaration that I'd like to do it at some point. That's why I'm buying it. Uh, but I mean, now it's a subtle thing, but it's a subtle thing that makes a big difference. And we are called to be faithful in the small details of our lives 
if we are to receive something bigger. We are called to be faithful in the practical details of our lives if we are to receive uh, a greater blessing spiritually. So we dwell in the land and we be faithful and we deal with the small issues, the practical issues, the seemingly worldly issues of life. And we exercise the responsibility of our stewardship in every single area of our life. And for many of us, that becomes difficult because we expand our world, we expand our quote-unquote possessions, we expand things beyond our ability to take faithful responsibility to steward these things, and that's wrong. And so many times what we need to do is narrow things down, choose fewer things, but things that we can be faithful regarding. And we also have a spiritual responsibility for stewardship. That's what Peter is talking about. Now in, in this text, he's talking about spiritual gifts. And he says there's two kinds of spiritual gifts. Uh, there are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. I've been in some churches that talk about uh, miracle gifts and other gifts and uh, identity gifts. And, 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 and those are not biblical categories. The Bible classifies all spiritual gifts as one of two types. Either they involve speaking or they involve serving. Now, prophecy is a speaking gift. Leadership is a serving gift. And so on and so on. But I'm not going to go into the gifts of the Holy Spirit today. That's not the, that's not the primary point. The point is that we are, if we've got a speaking gift or we have a serving gift, we are called to exercise our responsibility and use what God has given us spiritually in the way that God requires. Again, remember, we exercise stewardship to bless others and praise God. It's blessing others and praising God. That's the the twofold motion of our stewardship. Blessing others and praising God. And we receive a blessing through this. But God has given all of us a variety of expressions of His grace that we are called to exercise stewardship over. And gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, are just one kind of grace that God has given us. Sometimes God gives us the grace of wisdom that we need to steward. Sometimes God gives us the grace of knowledge. Sometimes God gives us a grace of, of a heart for prayer or a heart for evangelism uh, and on and on and on. The point is this, that not only must we exercise stewardship with regard to the practical, almost worldly details of our lives, but we also must exercise stewardship over the variety of expressions of grace that God has given us, using those expressions of grace to bless other people. So our stewardship in the mind of God flows from being planted where God has put us and exercising befriending faithfulness. And exercising that faithfulness, that faithful stewardship over the practical details of our lives, things that seemingly worldly like money, uh, even over the small details of our lives, and then also over the grace that God has given us so that we bless other people. And stewarding good in this way is a key dynamic for living the good life. If we do not steward what God has given us in the way that God requires of us, we may find that we lose it. Because what ultimately happens is that which you do not steward, you always lose. If you don't steward your money, you'll lose it. 
If you don't steward your relationships, you'll lose them. If you don't steward your gift of the Holy Spirit, it is going operative. That which we do not steward, we ultimately lose, just like the dishonest steward. But praise be to God that even if now we're realizing, oh, you know, I've been a bad steward in this area. Oh, I've been kind of dishonest in this area. Oh, I haven't, I haven't dealt with this right. You can repent. And as the example of the dishonest manager shows us, even when he was found out, he was still able to exercise his stewardship in a way that would bless others and honor his master. And we all in Jesus Christ, when we've exercised poor stewardship, and we've all done it, I mean, let's be honest, we've all done it, we can go to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I haven't taken care of my money. I haven't taken care of my home. I haven't taken care of my car. I haven't taken care of my job. I haven't taken care of my family. I haven't taken care uh, of the gifts that you've given me. I haven't taken care of the destiny you've spoken to me. I haven't taken care of the prophetic words that you've given me. And I'm sorry, Lord. And I surrender that to you. And I ask for your forgiveness and I ask for a restoration of stewardship that I might be a good steward and that I might learn to steward good and to steward well. And you can pray that prayer and know that Jesus Christ forgives you and that God will restore you to a place of stewardship. It might get, begin with small, seemingly small things, but those small things will be magnified in ways that will bring glory and honor to Jesus. Father God, thank you so much that you have given each of us possessions, situations, spiritual gifts, and many others to steward. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to steward all of these things well. This is all good that you have given and called us to steward. I pray, Lord God, that you'd help us to do it in a way that will bless other people and also in a way that will bring glory and honor to you. Lord, as we worship you, I, I pray that you would show us any ways that we have not stewarded faithfully so that we can turn away from it. I thank you that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But show us any ways that we have not steward faith, stewarded faithfully, that we have not taken responsibility, and then help us to do so by your grace and mercy to your glory and praise. For we love you and praise you and pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand together and worship the Lord, shall we?
of Calvary For every burden has been defeated And every wretched heart redeemed Drown our sins in seas of
There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain. Break every chain. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Break every chain. Break every chain, break every chain, break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. All sufficient sacrifice, so freely Break every chain, 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 break every chain
Jesus, that in you is the power to break the chains of those who are held back all around us from knowing you. Break every chain, Lord. Break every chain on our lives. Send us forth in the freedom of the Holy Spirit to live boldly and faithfully for you. I pray, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would surround us, that you'd bless the food that we're about to share upstairs, and also that uh, your Spirit would just guide us through Sunday Focus, that all may be done to your glory, honor, and praise. We love you, we praise you, we worship you and adore you. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us to be faithful stewards of all your blessings in our lives, that we might steward them so that others would receive blessing and you would receive all the glory, honor, and praise. We pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen. Thank you.